Money, a podcast network that understands the assignment. The Alive Podcast Network has launched the world's first content distribution app tailored by and for podcasters and listeners of color. Subscribers will enjoy a wide variety of shows ranging from spiritual to comedic to inspirational. Podcasters can house their content and merch in one spot and monetize from a central location. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com coming soon to iOS and Android. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. You can thank me later. You're listening to Deeply Rooted with Dr. Kratisa, where we encourage you not only to just wash your hair on wash day, but check your soul. Living in America with natural hair is a unique experience. We should be discussing it and giving witness to our own vulnerable and sometimes hilarious stories, hair stories that encompass much more than just how we style it. Everyone's hair journey is different. Everyone's hair is different. This is a safe space for Black voices. On today's episode, I speak with Dr. Kimber Shelton about her own transition to natural hair and to discuss how hair can significantly impact your identity. Dr. Kimber is a licensed psychologist, speaker, and author of a handbook on counseling African-American women, which details mental health needs and treatment interventions for Black women. It provides a historical context of how the lived experiences of Black women contribute to mental health and wellness. It identifies effective psychological practices in working with Black women and challenges readers to advance their cultural competence while providing culturally affirming care to Black women. So we'll speak all about our research, mental health, texturism, and the identity development of Black women. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Kimber Shelton to the show. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You are very welcome. So author, I love that, author of the Handbook of Counseling African-American Women. What is different about counseling African-American women? I mean, I know because they're my favorite people to work with, but (laughs) tell the people. Yeah, thank you for that question, because that is a question that comes up often. And sometimes it's a curiosity question, sometimes not so much a curiosity. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Black women present with all the same problems that our peers present with in terms of families, relationship, um, self-esteem, work issues, stress level, COVID. Black women come to therapy for all those things. However, the experience of a Black woman, particularly that being uh, exposed to gendered racism, impacts Black women, women differently. So where we also have those regular life stresses, we have this additional stressor of racism and sexism that's being combined together. So our symptomology can be heightened. Our issues can show up in different ways. Sometimes our um, healing is not even necessarily through a therapeutic means. Our healing Mm. is the system in which we are residing, living, working, playing. So it just is flavored differently. And I find when I'm working with white women by session two, we're at age four, this happened and we've uncovered these cycles and these dynamics and these (laughs) have already emerged in two sessions with Black women, it may be weeks before we're getting there Mm -hmm. because we have to go through all those layers of that extra crap that racism, sexism, 
um, misogyny, misogynoir, uh, flavors the experiences of Black women. So we're coming in regular. And then on top of that, we have all these experiences because of the way the world sees our Blackness. Um, the world is happy to capitalize off of, off of our black Blackness, but not always celebrate our Blackness. Very much so. And I often find that I have to, part of therapy with Black women is like, educating them on the fact that no the community says that you're this and you're a villain and all these other things but you're actually just sad like you're actually really depressed or you're actually really anxious um and one of my like uh passions professional passions is high functioning depression because people most people think about depression or mood or anything like that and they're kind of down laying on the couch but not necessarily people who are getting all the things done and doing all the things um but that extra layer does change a little bit now um how long have you been natural I have I'm in my eighth year of being natural eighth year awesome are you when did you start what precipitated the choice to go natural yeah so if I look back in time I would have never thought I would be natural because of my own internalized racism and what I thought about natural hair, what I learned about natural hair and what beauty standards were. And also as a professional woman, what professionalism meant, I would have never thought that I would be natural. But I think the more that I became aligned with my identity as a black woman and the more, uh, yeah, the more aligned I became with my identity as a black woman, the more misaligned having chemically treated hair was having that my standards of beauty change my acceptance of self change and in that I had to love the hair that was growing out of my head mm. uh, so I think that was a big catalyst for just my own racial identity development and the growth and change there and I think in general there just feels like there's a big movement or shift to yeah. Black women being natural. So just seeing and being exposed to more natural hairstyles. Mm -hmm. And again, that these are Black women who are stay-at-home moms, who are executives, who are bus drivers, just the diversity of Black women and what our Mm -hmm. hair is, that Mm -hmm. was important to me. But it just felt really misaligned in loving myself fully and not being able to love the hair that naturally grows out of my own head. Mm-hmm. Where were you in your life? Like what stage were you on in, in your life when you decided to do this transition? So I think the idea of being, being able to transition happened. Okay, so I'm from Western New York and always had relaxed hair there. Okay. And then I moved to Atlanta. So I never really even cared that much about my hair because I play sports. And if I wanted to swim, I was going to swim. What I, so my hair mm-hmm. was just not a high priority for me. Excuse me. Um, and then I didn't really know much about doing hair. I wasn't really adventurous about mm-hmm. my hair. Um, but then also I wasn't really being taught to love and to cultivate my hair either. So then I went and got my PhD at the University of Georgia. And then I had family who was living in Atlanta. So... UGA is an hour from Atlanta. And then I was exposed to, sorry, to the Buffalo hairstylist. To Atlanta. <laughs> Atlanta 
stylist. And oh yeah. <laughs> and it was a game changer. I'm like, oh my goodness, like my hair is amazing. This is fabulous. And still I had relaxed hair at the time, but just my hair was literally amazing. Uh and I needed a, it was time for a retouch, but my stylist did not have time to do a retouch. She's like, no, I'll just, I'm just going to press it on. I'll just do a silk press. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm about to waste money here. But she pressed my hair. I'm like, this looks like I have a relaxer. So I think there were those sort of things like, no, I can do anything with my natural hair that I, I could also do with my relaxed hair. So I kind of um, increased it too. And then I decided that I got a relaxer before I got married. I guess I was 34 then. And then at that point, it's like, I'm not, I'm not getting anymore. I'm going to embrace all of me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bring all myself into this marriage. And that has to be my hair too. So I think a lot of things just really crystallized for me at that time. And yeah, just, it was the right time. Okay. You talk a lot about texturism in your book. Can you tell the people what texturism is and give us an idea of how it might impact the people? Texturism is an ism. So it is um, a prejudice or bias based on the texture of one's hair. And going back to colonization and Black women being enslaved, this idea of uh, what um, texturism is very much connected to colorism too. What is um, beauty and what is good hair versus bad hair? So that good hair is a texture that is straight or has loose curls to it that is ideally long. And then that bad hair is going to be coarse, kinky, tight hair being bad hair. So the texturism and the um, bias comes in preferring or giving preferential treatment to that good hair and then that bad hair is not beautiful is not the standard mm -hmm. uh, and so then that texturism impacts you know starts as, as little girls um, the way that we see ourselves the way we feel about ourselves the treatment that we receive, what type of attention we're going to get based on what mm. our hair looks like. And so already we see self-esteem being impacted by the texture of our hair. We see mm. our body image being um, connected to the texture of our hair. Um, and there's pros and cons to both sides. Those individuals with good hair then um, may not feel like they are part of the community or mm. the group because it's hard to connect or the biases or the assumptions that are being made about them. And that, that texturism follows us throughout our lives. And then we pass those things down that I hear it less, but I still hear people talking to little black girls about, oh, your hair is so beautiful. Your hair is this, or that's some nappy hair, but not nappy as the, oh, look at that strong, Mm -hmm. hair that you have in a pejorative way to make someone feel bad about themselves or their hair. And again, that's not anything that we control. It's just how it mm -hmm. naturally comes yeah. out of our, our heads. And some of the ways that we are influenced is very subtle. So I always encourage people to look at the ads that 
they use to market products, even to the people in the natural hair community. They're always like, I'm going to get the person with the loose, a little bit of a looser curl pattern, not anything that's a little bit tighter, a little bit more oily, but they, that's the experience. And they're like, Ooh, that I think I'm going to get my hair like that. I think I'm going to be that girl on the camera. And that is not the case. What was it like when you learned your new, like your actual texture of your hair? What was that like for you? Yes, Black, I'm still learning. I had a conversation with a Black woman earlier who also has natural hair. And I said, well, I've been natural for eight years. So I, in comparison, I feel like I'm an eight-year-old girl. Like I'm still learning <laughs> about my curl pattern and my texture and you know, I thought it, I thought I was a 4C, then maybe I'm a 4B, then I learned there was a 4D. It's just, it's just it's too much. And there's just so many products to uh, initially in my journey, I was getting a monthly curl um, box kit with all these products that will come mm -hmm. in. And then my bathroom, which is completely <laughs> <covered>. <laughs> curl, half used curl products. <laughs> um, so I think I'm still in the process of learning about my hair. Mm -hmm. uh, I was more adventurous at the beginning of my journey and now you know, some flat twists and leave the twist in or some mm -hmm. two strand twists and those are my go-to. So I do need to start getting more adventurous with my hair again, but I feel like I'm still learning. I'm still learning about my hair and, um, what's best for it. But my focus right now is just really having healthy hair. Yeah to be healthy and whatever the curl looks like to be all right with that. Do you remember any times during your transition or even over the last eight years when you had a moment of like needing to reflect on your natural hair journey or at least just how you were feeling in your journey in general? Yeah. So the women in my family, with the exception, I think one niece, who I don't think she's ever had a relaxer. I don't think. Um, but the majority or all of the women on one side of my family had relaxers and are now natural. And I think that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Y'all, you know, we're addicted to the creamy crack. <laughs> now we're all natural. And it feels like, especially for the older women, my older nieces, it is really an um, identity shift of being so much more in love with themselves and feeling so much confident within themselves and allowing their hair to be an additional expression of themselves. That They are not only their hair, but their hair is allowed to be an expression of them. So I was reflecting on that, like, wow, all the women in my family have natural hair, which, you know, Eight years ago, that would not have been the mm -hmm. case. The majority of us would have had relaxers. And it isn't particularly important and relevant for me that I have twin daughters who are four. Oh, and, yeah. that's adorable. <laughs> and they have different textures than I do, and they have different textures from each other. And it's so important to me that they grow up loving their hair and feeling comfortable in their hair. And I know that as much as I am talking to them about the beauty of their hair and taking care of their hair and how wonderful their hair is, I, I know still there's going to be a day when they're going to be confronted with texturism and they're going to question their beauty or they're going to question their femininity or question who they are. 
that even though I'm trying to protect them from that, I know that will come. So mm-hmm. doing as much as I can to try to build that foundation of yeah. loving it here now. That's awesome. I love talking about children and how we are shifting um, perceptions of hair and how they're going to have a completely different experience than we had. Um, and I am, I'm just excited to see little, little girls in barrettes and ballies and the boys having wave reveals again. <laughs> <laughs> what was the favorite way to wear your hair when you were relaxed? Not adventurous. It was straight with a bump at the end. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What about now? What's your go-to hairstyles as a natural lady? Yeah, so lots of two-strand twists. Just leaving it twisted or twist out. Those are my go-tos. And I will still um, put it in a ponytail, slick it back. And sometimes I might add a little bit of extra to that pony. But... Yeah, I'm still pretty non-adventurous with my hair. Okay. Do you have a go-to like my hair is not per- like my hair is not performing well or being uh nice right now and do you have like a quick hairstyle that you go to to kind of save the day like if you tried a new hairstyle and you have to like leave in five minutes do you have a go-to that's like trusty dusty Mm -hmm. yeah it makes me think of those memes where it's like your professional picture and then when you show up on camera (laughs) (laughs) that I have this great professional picture but then where I say 90% of my clients that I'm working with, it's a a ponytail and I'll put a twist across the front and that's done too. Um, Or if this is really off, I'll put a headscarf on, I'll put a wrap on and Mm -hmm. moving. How has your hair impacted your professional career, if at all? Well, it impacted it in terms of I would say probably connected to how adventurous or how much I allow my hair to be free. And that early in my professional identity, I thought that professional hair looked a certain way and it was not, um, it was not going to be my natural hair. And uh, I remember two of my colleagues with natural hair, granted their natural hair is looser and mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit longer but they were doing a panel on natural hair I was like yeah I just I could just never be natural and again and connecting that to my professional identity as well um but when I was transitioning I was working fully for myself in independent practice so I don't think it had much of an impact on my career because I was my own boss so I could mm-hmm. have the type of hair that I wanted to and the majority of my clients are Black women, and we do a lot of work on identity and exploring ourselves. So I think um, whether they are natural, have natural hair or not, having conversations about hair just feels like it is a common part of the work that I'm doing. So I don't think it's had an impact so much. And I think now, especially the type of work that I do, my hair is very much welcomed into the communities and environments that I'm in. 
So before you started your practice, you were um, wearing your hair in relaxed style. So you were still uh, following the standard of beauty for like a professional career. Okay, understood. How do you think professionalism standards are changing currently? Not that you're, you know, the person making those standards, but what do you see as the the trend? Yeah, I recently saw an ad on social media or LinkedIn, one of those things, of multiple Black women with natural hair. And in all those pictures, this is professional hair. So I think there is a shift Mm. to recognize Black women's hair as professional. I think there's a big movement to that. I think, again, we just see more Black women wearing their natural hair. Years ago, I was having a conversation, or it was a a group of Black women, we were having a conversation with one of our friends who was about to apply for a pretty prestigious job and had natural hair. um, And she was asking, I don't know, do I wear my hair or do I wear a wig? And to like have an hour-long conversation about how you wear your hair for an interview Versus what are interview questions or how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. Or, Wonderful, you're about to do this. We took an hour to talk about her hair. And hopefully those conversations are changing where we're not having to spend an hour debating, do you wear your natural hair or do you wear a wig for the interview? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's more acceptance. I think there's more exposure to it too. Um, still we see there's discrimination that Black women uh, have in a lot of places that the Crown Bill and um, there's still places where you can be fired or not hired because of your hair. Mm -hmm. So there's still a lot of work to be done, but I think with exposure and education, Mm -hmm. um, allies working towards inclusivity, we see some changes in what those professional standards look like. In my research, I recall racial identity and hair being closely related, and I wondered if it was a one begets the other or, you know, changing the natural hair forced you into um, like an encounter stage or kind of just uh, facing Mm -hmm. racial identity issues or discriminatory issues or prejudice and having that cognitive dissonance which you were kind of talking about before like I have my hair here but I love myself here and so something has to give mm-hmm. can you tell me about the connection that your racial identity had with your hair and maybe give a little bit of description so that other people can kind of think about it in their own mm-hmm. give given their own life yeah I think it was a parallel process with my racial identity and my hair transition so looking at um, people call racial identity models that the, those early stages of identity are that we are colorblind or we don't see race or ethnicity or we try to minimize, downplay those things. The middle stages is we're coming into awareness of our racial identity and having pride about that mm-hmm. um, and very much um, kind of siloed into our identity and our community. And then those later stages are going to be acceptance where we have a full appreciation for our identity and can be appreciative and understanding of other people's identities as well. Mm-hmm. So I think early in my life, I was very much in that colorblind phase. Um, I grew up in a predominantly white area where my early 
um, elementary school experiences. Literally, it was just me and my two brothers were the only Black people in our school. And they're older than me, so I never saw them. <laughs> and there was an Asian girl, too. So it was just me and the Asian girl that were people of color. So there was no other Black children around. And then as I got older, our schools became a little bit more diverse and had um, more Black people. But at that point, again, my standards of beauty were straight hair and um, long hair. And I never wanted to be white, but I did always want to have long hair. And mm. I remember when I was young and plain, I would like put a slip on my head. <laughs> That was my hair. <laughs> that was my long hair. So very much tied to and connected um, to that. But not fully understanding myself or seeing myself and just not even knowing about what I to be Black. I always knew I was Black and I always felt different, but I didn't fully understand what my Blackness meant for me. And then I was getting older and better understanding myself and connecting with myself um, being more connected to the Black community, I think that cognitive dissonance was starting to sit in. And again, I can't fully embrace myself and love myself if I'm not loving and connecting to how my hair naturally is. Nothing against women who um, do have relaxed hair or desire to continue to relax their hair. But for me, yeah, it did feel like there was a disconnect there. Uh, and as I'm talking to Black women, especially about self-worth, we are worthy of loving the hair that just naturally grows out of our head. So very much in the um, in that immersion stage of mm -hmm. um, my hair, wear my hair unapolog unapologetically, and that's it. My spouse, even I was like when I was um, transitioning, like there was a woman who had tight, uh, kinky hair. I said, "What do you think about her hair?" And he's like, "No, I don't like that." I'm like, mm, well, that's what we're working towards. <laughs> <laughs> that's where we going. <laughs> that's the direction we're moving in. Um, but now, and I think that was his own stuff he had to work through. Um, he has an appreciation for my hair. And I still feel like I'm in more of that immersion stage. I'm not that acceptance stage yet. I'm still about my people, my hair, my culture. Mm -hmm. Um there's a sense of safety, I feel, that I'm not ready to give up yet to move further along in that journey. But yeah, I feel like it was very much a parallel process. The more I was loving myself and loving myself as a Black woman, the more natural my hair became. I love the part of you still loving your natural hair, despite what your spouse may have said and said like, okay, that's not anything about me he's got to take some time to think about that part, but that doesn't have any bearing on like how I want to wear my hair or hair choice. And I want a lot of people to, a lot of women that I talk to are like, well, my boyfriend or my husband would never go for it. I'm like, but if they love you, they will go for you. And like, they will be in love with you. And like, you need to be able to feel worthy and feel your self-worth while also being, uh, being in a relationship. And if those two can't mm -hmm. be which one you want to let go the relationship or your self-worth mm -hmm. sometimes it's, it's a tough choice out there in the streets <laughs> <laughs> it is it's is tough out here in these streets hey my husband is bald so <laughs> come on now 
have several ball seats. Have some seats. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> uh, I would love the natural hair that was growing out of your head, but what kind of reactions have you had to your hair either from family members people you know people you don't know really positive um experiences for black women they love it again Mm -hmm. my black women clients that i'm working with we're having conversations about their hair they may be commenting on my hair it's important for us to have those talks um, several years ago, pre-COVID, had a great twist out. It was fabulous. And all these young um, psychology students and um, graduate students were just coming to me like, oh my goodness, your hair is amazing. <laughs> and like being inspired by my hair mm-hmm. at this professional conference. Um, so yeah, I get lots of positive feedback from professional communities and people in my life. My family, again, we have all transitioned together. So um, I think me being natural was pretty impactful on other people feeling comfortable being natural as well. My spouse has come along with this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then strangers, I think there's an appreciation, but I think there's still an exoticization or exoticizing of black women's natural hair that it's just you know that feels different between that oh your hair looks really nice and like how do you get your hair to do that i just let it grow out of my head and it does it um so mm-hmm. overall very positive experiences and again i connect that to my uh, children that I want them to have positive hair experiences too. So I appreciate the school that they're at, the um, pre-K that they're in, where their teachers regularly say things to them like, oh, your hair is so beautiful, or look how full your hair is. Um, Look at that lovely thick hair that you have. Mm -hmm. I did not hear that, at least I don't remember hearing that from any of my teachers growing up. So, yeah, I like that already. They're getting that feedback about how beautiful their natural hair is. And again, not in a um, exotic way, but an appreciative way. Mm-hmm. Like instead of like the only compliments that people get is when they have straight long hair, mm-hmm. having more of that be regular, just more mm-hmm. compliments even to other people that are different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still, we have to work on some boundary issues. And again, I think that's more of the exoticizing of mm. black women's hair. Is this the you reaching know, or the rooting? Yeah. First of all, just do not touch my children and do not come and touch my child's head. What are you doing? Mm. What are you doing? So still, yeah. So one of the things that I enjoy about my career post-graduation is being able to work with Black women and being unapologetically Black and having people come in the office and not have to code switch. When I read your profile, I immediately saw like a reflection of myself in that, like you being fully unapologetically Black and using your humor and, you know, stepping outside of what we were taught, but combining your culture and what we were taught to be 
uh, the best provider that we can. And I like that you focused on culturally competent providers so that when it, cause it, that encompasses everything. I mean, that impacts how you look at somebody's diagnosis, which is why everybody, all the black people were diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Meanwhile, they're all here depressed <laughs> and it's a, it's a huge concern. So can you speak on your own experiences being a black woman and also being a black woman working with black women in a, in a practice? Yeah, I think the majority of the Black women who come and see me, they are specifically looking to work with a Black woman with the idea that working with a Black woman, there'll be greater familiarity and they'll feel more comfortable. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's not. Just because yeah. we are of the same ethnic background doesn't mean that we have the same experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but the desire to want to connect and relate to someone without having to explain what being a Black woman means is highly important. The cultural competence piece is really um, necessary because there's only like, there's less than 5,000 Black psychologists in the U.S. So if a Black woman want to see a Black psychologist, it's going to be hard to do that. Chances mm-hmm. are you're working with someone who doesn't look like you and you're still needing to feel comfortable. But fortunately, research sh- shows that cultural competence is more important than racial or ethnic pairing. So therapist doesn't look like us and they're culturally competent. We do great work in that therapy. And just a little bit of the nerd in me too. Recent research is showing that uh, cultural competence should actually be considered one of the common factors. There's four common factors for why therapy works. Mm -hmm. Therapy relationship, theoretical orientation, and then these factors that we don't know. But the research is showing that for people of color, when the therapist was culturally competent, the therapy improved. For people of color, when the therapist was not culturally competent, therapy failed. They could not do therapy if there was not cultural competence. So it's so important for there to be that cultural competence. And then to understand hair in terms of functioning too. So especially doing virtual therapy mm-hmm. when a black woman comes in and she has her bonnet on it's not necessarily oh your functioning is declining mm-hmm. you know, i'm doing virtual meetings all day or i just got up an hour ago that's what my bonnet means mm-hmm. understanding what it means for a black woman to wear a bonnet these cultural nuances are really important too And then for Black women in terms of our worthiness and loving us and embracing ourselves and working through that texturism, that cultural competence is an essential part of that. So for myself and doing the work of connecting with our ethnic identity and um, our gender identity as Black women is being able to connect with our ancestors. Mm -hmm. Our ancestors, they did not go through all that stuff for us to not be loving ourselves and for us to feel like we have to hide ourselves or to commit to a standard of beauty that was not Mm -hmm. designed for us or about us. So doing that ancestral work, connecting with Black women about their worthiness, we were born and we were worthy. We didn't do anything. We did literally nothing. We just came through that canal or somebody reached in and pulled us out and already we were worthy. And we were worthy, which is how we naturally were. So being able to connect back with that innate sense of worth and giving Black women space to put language to texturism, racism, 
sexism and being able to separate themselves from that mm. is a part of the cultural accomplishment work that I do. And I see that you also do consulting services. So you're not only like doing this service via counseling, but you're also teaching other people how to engage uh, culturally and with competence and um, with a cultural lens. Yeah, so doing a lot of trainings with other mental health professionals about um, how to do therapy with black women or what counseling with black women looks like. In January, myself and the other co-editors of the Handbook of Counseling African-American Women, Dr. Ismahalat, um, Indala and Dr. Michelle Lynn. We hosted a two-day conference on counseling Black women. And the last part of the conference focused on a healing component that was specifically for Black women and giving Black women that safe space and voice of expressing what it's like to be a Black woman, a mental health professional. And then um, Leah Frazier, she is a, a meditation and Reiki expert led us through a sound bath. Mm. Uh, so offering Black women and then also Black women healers spaces to do their work and then training allies on how to do this cultural competent work is so, 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 so important. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed this conversation. I was thoroughly excited when I'm like, I get to talk to another psychologist. We get to nerd out and talk all about, you know, identity and stuff. So it is great to see the work that you're doing and how involved you are in the community. If there's any way that I can support any of your endeavors, please let me know and I'll we'll do that. Um, but again, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you. I realize I've had a lot of professional psychologists on um, this season of the show, which I love. Um, but in reflection of each episode, one quote stuck out to me. Dr. Sheldon said, the more I became aligned with my identity as a Black woman, the more misaligned I became with having chemically treated hair. And it made me wonder about alignment in general. So yes, you can put it in the context of natural hair, but what does it take for you to be aligned with yourself? Like, what does alignment feel like? Do you know what it feels like? Have you felt it? Are you chasing that? And alignment can mean different things for different people. So alignment meant for me, um, I needed to be proud of myself and have no shame about what I was doing. And if I had to take a moment to look myself in the mirror and I decided like, I don't like what I was looking back at me, I'm not really proud of the thing that I did. Or, you know, I feel shame and embarrassment that I made that decision. I just try to make a different decision next time. And that is the way that I kind of move through life. Same thing with like weight loss and like working out and exercising. I could work out for 10 minutes, but 10 minutes of my working out will give me a motivation boost for the rest of the day because I know that I did what I needed to do for that 10 minutes in the morning to take care of myself. And in the 10 minutes, I might have been meditating. I might have been doing yoga. I might have been going over my, my daily list of tasks or intentions. But the point is I feel at peace with myself. If you don't feel at peace, if you're finding that you're drinking or you're smoking or you're partying or you're whatever extra workaholic, whatever it might be, traveling, if you are doing and adding these things to your life because you don't feel aligned with yourself, I guarantee you those things won't help. 
So it is really important for you to do the deep work, not saying that it's easy, but I want you to ask yourself these questions. What does it take for you to be aligned with yourself? What do you need from yourself in the transition to natural hair? What will you need from yourself when you get older? Like I used to ask myself, okay, at 35, if I look at myself at 35, <laughs> I have to be able to be proud of this person in some way, shape, or form. I don't care if I am, you know, homeless, jobless, if I have kindness and compassion and grace still there, I feel like I could still be aligned because I know that the whatever light was given to me by my higher power is still there. Just the objective things are just gone. So I really want you to know what you need. Know what you need in order to teach other people how to treat you. A lot of us focus on knowing how to give other people what they want, but more importantly, what do you need from you? What do you need from your partner? What do you need from your job? What do you need from your therapist? If there's something you need from your therapist, that's the place to get aligned. So you got to tell a therapist. So whatever you can do to find alignment within yourself, the peace, I say go out for a brunch with your peeps and, and have a conversation about like, what do you do? to feel more aligned? What do you do for self-care? What do you do not get together and complain about our lives or get together and, you know, uh, shoot the crap, as we say in Philly, like whatever it is, take time to like, just have a slight conversation about what you do to align with yourself. And then also give yourself what you need to keep going. Because we all need something to keep going. And I want you to find out what yours is. So do the alignment, let me know, come to the show, write it, whatever you got to do. I'm curious about your alignment. I want you to share how you align yourself with yourself to everybody, anybody that you can imagine, um, because you be getting your alignment, begets other alignments for other people. It starts giving them curiosity. It starts giving them questions. Um, and questions are great because all you really need to do is face the questions and the concerns and the worries that you have anyway. So like I always say, change is hard. So be nice to yourself. Compassion, grace, all that. I'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Deeply Rooted with Dr. Cortisa. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to share and support the podcast, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review, and share the show with family and friends. And remember, on wash day, don't just wash your hair. Check your soul. This is brought to you by Alive Podcast Network.